0: Hey everyone and welcome to this week's episode of Long Story Short, the show about money news and data for global development professionals. I'm Kate Wathan, here with Kate Warren, first and foremost to prove that we are separate people. And secondly, to tap Kate's knowledge about what it's like to be a woman working in international development. In 2018 Kate is the font of all knowledge for careers recruiting lifestyle within this industry thank you for joining us yes thank you Kate I want to start as we have started to do with a lightning round of icebreakers to make sure that your forever fans get a chance to know you better anyone who doesn't know you to get to know you a little bit more so we're gonna start with number one all right whose holiday party would you rather attend Peace Corps or Doctors Without Borders Okay,
1: I think I would have to say Doctors Without Borders because Peace Corps would be mostly Americans and that wouldn't be as fun as probably a more international office, I assume. And they probably have some really great stories. Yeah, I think
0: you're definitely so, right okay. about that. <laughs> uh, and if you have answers at home, feel free to leave them in the comments. Always love to know what our audience is thinking. <laughs> All right, secondly, global development role model or role models, who are they?
1: All right, well, I think apropos to our topic today, I'd have to say Amina Mohammed, who's the Deputy Secretary General of the UN. She was also one of our Power With Purpose nominees, or awardees last year, who's just like a phenomenal woman. She's a mother of six children. She um, is a classic pull yourself <laughs> up from your bootstrap story of her life growing up in rural Nigeria to now one of the most powerful positions within one of the most powerful international organizations. Um, She's a really strong advocate for women and I think a great moral model for women who are looking to um, both be mothers and really effective in development. So.
0: Yeah, she is fantastic, yeah. definitely power with purpose. Yes. you know, Awardy, mm-hmm. wonderful, wonderful woman. Yeah. Um, okay, this might be the most important one. Are you ready? Okay. It is a superlative. <laughs> I want to know who you would vote most likely to sweep the women's snowboarding championships at the Olympics in South Korea? Gail Smith, mm-hmm. head of one campaign, former USAID administrator, mm-hmm. or
1: Madeleine Albright? I mean, I'd have to say Gail Smith. She's- Looks like she's got some some good guns, some arms. Yeah, pretty fit. So that that would be mine. That would be my guess too. Just a
0: really (laughs) strong woman who's just out there to win. Yeah, yeah, I feel that. (laughs) All right. Well, now that we have gone through our icebreakers, want to start by talking about this Uh, and what everything it portends to. Favorite form. Kate wrote an op-ed last week about the impact of the USAID Biodata form, the Biographical Data Sheet, that's what this is right here. It is a form that you have to fill out really before you even interview. You might go through a phone screen and then you go and you fill out this form and it has information, of course, like name, date of birth, nationality, education, employment history, but it also requires you to put down what you have made mm-hmm. at past jobs. Can you talk a little bit about why this could be harmful especially in terms of the wage gap for women.
1: Yeah, so I think this has really come to light recently given some laws that have passed in some states in the US in the past year, Massachusetts and California, that is banning asking the question about previous salary history when hiring someone because research has proven that it creates a disparate impact on women when you're basing their salary on previous salary history since women historically are paid less often than men for even the same role, basing a salary on your previous salary history can never allows you to break that cycle.
0: Because it allows recruiters to then to say, oh, you make this, yes. I'll offer you a little bit more in the hopes that you'll take it. Is that the rationale?
1: Yeah, and so and with USAID, there's is some complexity. And, and for those of you who aren't as familiar with the USAID contracting world, if you work on a USAID funded contract, your employer, whether it's a, you know, an implementer, typically has to submit one of these forms on your behalf to justify the salary they are paying you. So part of it is, you know, why does USAID even need to know this information? Um, At this point, uh, they should be basing it more on market rates rather than your previous salary history. Um, And I've also seen that a lot of employers, even when it's not specifically tied to a USAID contract where this might be a requirement under that contract, They just rely on this as a really easy way to start a salary negotiation. So there are a lot of positions that don't require this form, um, but it's just an easy way for a recruiter or hiring manager to say, yeah, fill this out, I'll give you a five, 10% raise, done.
0: So is it possible to fill this out
1: and leave out that information and submit it? So we actually had a member who uh, tweeted us after this article and said that she did apply to an implementer and refused to fill out the salary information and she cited the gender wage gap is her reason, um, and the employer, and to give them a shout out, DAI, said, oh, okay, and didn't make her do that. So I think we are seeing more pushback, and employers that are particularly located in states where this has become illegal are re-examining their salary procedures, how they set compensation, um, you know, it can be very complicated in development when there isn't a lot of data out there on what are market rates but I think as a sector we can do better. I mean, we are the sector that's promoting gender equality around the world, so we should take a hard look at what we're doing inside our own doors.
0: And I, I imagine that not every employer is going to accept that if you just don't put in that salary history. They might just say, you know, you have to or we're not going to consider you or something because I alluded to this earlier, but it's early in the job process. You know, you really want that role. It's the next step in your
1: career. And then someone comes back and says,
0: we won't consider you unless you put this in. Yeah, and
1: I think where it also can have more of a disparate impact on women is, say, they take a little bit step back in their careers because they're raising a family or caring for a family member, which statistically tends to fall more to women than men. Um, it can be really hard to ever make up for that. And even if they are moving into a more demanding role that should be compensated at a higher level, if they don't have that salary history to back it up, then they can't justify that salary even if the role should based on market rates. Yeah. yeah. So that's a
0: good segue into you know, careers. Like, you know, Once you get the job, you get, past, you, know, you get past or you don't, having to share your wage data our industry requires a lot of unique job aspects things like being able to travel being extremely flexible in your hours you're traveling not just for a few days or a week but often for much longer stints in places that you know might not be completely safe can you talk a bit about how how this could disproportionately affect women
1: yeah i mean i think there's there's many ways it can um first and foremost some women, given their familial situations, aren't, don't necessarily have that flexibility, um, which can really impact them in their ability to take specific assignments or even volunteer for assignments where men who maybe also are parents and have a family situation might be more likely to do that. Um, I think it also, it can create more of a, a bias, even unconscious bias towards women. If so I think a uh, UN recently did some analysis around um, some of their gender data and found that when you look at candidates that are equally qualified, mothers were 79% less likely to be hired for the role. And a lot of that is this unconscious bias that as a woman you seem less committed. So even if you are perfectly able to travel, even if you have a family and you have good support system and network, that you could be that committed, um, there's often kind of a hesitation and a sense that women aren't able to, commit to the same level as maybe a man might be able to. Um, So I see a lot of women facing that kind of discrimination, even if they are perfectly capable or don't have families. Of course, Um,
0: I mean, and that's just in the recruitment process. I mean, there's also, and if you do get the job and you're out and you're traveling, you're talking about this unconscious bias where you might just feel like you're being viewed differently or you might be being viewed differently for say, leaving your kids behind yeah. than male counterparts too.
1: Yeah, definitely, and I've even experienced that myself. You know, I travel quite a bit internationally, and sometimes when I'm traveling with some of our male colleagues who are also parents, I will be the only one who's asked Who's watching your kids while I'm traveling? You just say, "Oh, I just left them at <laughs> right. home." Right. I know. I've come up with some <laughs> responses like that, and then you know, and then it's also, "Oh, their dad is babysitting them." Nobody considers a mom babysitting Because their own you were not anxious already about <laughs> leaving your kids at home, and now yeah. you have to
0: think about babysitting. Yeah, them. but it's a way yeah. that
1: singles you out as yeah. being different, and um, and I, I don't think anyone's doing this to consciously be. Yeah, maybe that's their way of feeling they're building a relationship, but. Um, yeah, it's something that I think women definitely face more scrutiny around and, and security around and, and just challenges in our sector.
0: Yeah, I think you know, travel is a really great example of that, but especially if you have a job that's in the humanitarian response or something where things are evolving rapidly. You know, I know for certain humanitarian organizations, they have the team that goes out into the field and deploys and you know, all of that. But there's also a coordinating team at home that is working you know, 20 hour days trying to make sure that everything stays in place, and that's something else that always isn't completely feasible yeah. for women.
1: Yeah, and also when you look at the career growth um, possibilities within the sector, usually being able to work in hardship locations, being able to travel at the drop of the hat are very much rewarded in your career progression. So if you aren't able to do that, then you are definitely going to see yourself plateau. Um, also, I think we kind of see this very like linear path of, of growth where for some people, men and women, looking at how can we build a career path that maybe allows you to ramp up when you are able to and also ramp down when you're not able to and it's not going to to block your career growth because you do have those ramping down uh, stages. So it feels like you know there's the
0: issue of unconscious bias. There's the issue of just even conscious bias in some cases. What, how do we combat this? Because you know there are certainly things that women can do, but it's not just a women's problem. It's sort of a whole of culture issue yeah. that you know requires a lot of support. What would what advice would you give about how to? You get women into positions of leadership, how to fight the unconscious biases, all of it.
1: Yeah, so I mean it's, it's a big challenge to solve so I'm not pretend that I have all of the answers. I think when it comes to the unconscious biases, first is just recognizing them. Again, I don't think, I think majority of people are not intending to have those biases. Um, it can be human nature, so just recognizing that and understanding and checking yourself on those. Um, a lot of times in the hiring process people talk about this you know, gut reaction to somebody when they first meet them and they know in the first five seconds if um, they should hire them or not. Those are usually based on very like, biased <laughs> reasons. So bad data yeah. because it's no data. <laughs> um, so you know, being more objective and making some of those decisions and also just your interactions with your colleagues even outside of the hiring context. Um, I think where I see a lot of hope and things changing is that this push for like having more flexibility that is often seen as a women or mother um, issue. Many men want that too. They want work-life balance. They want to be able to see their kids. And they've actually been more heavily penalized when they ask for those um, accommodations, even more than women have. Um, And I'm seeing more men pushing for that. And I think that as it becomes more equal, and both genders, are able to um, have a more flexible work-life balance is not going to be seen as a woman's issue. So if I hire the woman then she's going to need all the leave, or she's going to want to take time off. It's it's really um, not singling out one, one group.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting because I think certainly for men you know the stereotypes affect them too and there's a certain you know maybe attitude aesthetic that you have to have about oh I'm just going to go out and do all of this really important work, kind of no strings attached, and seem very macho about it too, uh, that it, it might feel like the inverse of that to ask for more of these things, but really it's just advocating for yourself in a healthier lifestyle where you can have your family
1: and have all of these Yeah, and um, you see a lot more things. dual career couples now too, where um, both are have ambitious career, aspirations Um, many couples that work in development um, both work in development that's even how they met and so that can be a real challenge balancing your both of your careers if it's taking you to different parts of the world Um, but we're seeing a lot of uh, couples we did a series even it was a couple years ago looking at how um, couples are able to manage their careers in this sector and a lot of them are doing like your turn and my turn and a couple years back and forth and making sure that they are doing some other consulting work in between so nobody's having any big gaps on their resume. Um, but that has been historically a real disadvantage for women is that it tended to be women who even if they and their spouse started out generally the same level, eventually maybe as they had a family and it became overall family priority to have one spouse devote more time with their family. If the man at that point is making more money, just given the wage gap, then you know when it's like whose career takes a back seat, it tends to be the woman's that they decide to do as a unit. Um, so as we can close that wage gap and also be able to create flexible careers for, for everyone, I think we'll start to see some of that change.
0: Yeah, I mean that, that dynamic of kind of your turn, my turn, doing consulting work to keep up, it's that feels like a really great, you know, a really great solution to dual career couples, but just won't always be feasible for everyone.
1: Yeah, and some people have spouses that have careers that are not mobile careers that you can't pick up and move to another location. So, you know, that that is real real challenge. And it's a challenge for organizations that are looking to attract Uh, women, particularly at the leadership level, that are maybe located in places where there won't be a robust employment market for their spouses. And uh, so it really can create kind of a, a dwindling the pipeline of potential candidates for some of those roles.
0: Sure. So I did want to jump back and let anyone know, anyone who's watching, if you have thoughts about the wage gap, if you have experiences to share, if you are a dual career couple, or a not dual career couple, and have your insight and want to share your story with us, please feel free to reach out or leave a note in the comments. For those of you just tuning in, I'm Kate Wathan here with Kate Warren talking about women working in international development, which this is also a topic of a campaign we have right now ongoing with quantum impact looking at some of these issues of unconscious biases, the wage gap and all of that. I did want to get in a little bit, get into a little bit more of this idea of the diminishing leadership pipeline of women. Um, the Women in Global Health group submitted an op-ed a couple weeks ago about the big disproportion, um, or the big, the big gap in women's leadership at the top, because that's a really heavily female industry. But once you get to the top of the chain, you just don't see that many women in leadership. How can we? I guess we've talked about a lot of the reasons that could be, mm-hmm.
1: but how do we fix that? Yeah, well, I mean, I think one thing that's interesting is research notes that um, even when it comes to applying to jobs, uh, a woman will feel like she has to be a hundred percent qualified before she will put her, you know, name in the in the hat. So, and then the man, maybe he's only, you know. It's 50% of the qualifications, like, yeah, I can do that. I can do, I can do that. <laughs> um, so I think it's uh, making sure that more women are, are putting their, their name in to be considered. Um, so, and sometimes that takes more effort on the employer side and really building those pipelines of really qualified women, not just waiting until they have a vacancy open and then waiting to see who applies and saying, oh, well, no women applied, so I guess, you know, we can't do anything about it. Um, So making sure that you are actively reaching out to women and making sure you're engaging them. Also, I think women are very, because often flexibility, predictability can be important to them, I'm thinking about employers and are they creating a work environment that is flexible for all kinds of people, um, accommodating and welcoming to all kinds of people. Um, As I think about myself um, having a spouse who's very supportive um, is definitely been a real key in my ability to be both working and traveling and a mother. Um, so I know that's a Sheryl Sandberg Lean In, which can get a little controversial, but the, you know picking the right spouse often it <laughs> can make it's a big true. big difference. Um, you know picking the right employer, but and it really has to come from leadership. You can have policies in place, you can have uh, you know memorandum that goes out. But if it's really not being ingrained in the culture of an organization and indoctrinated from the top on down, you're not going to see anything happen. You know, yeah. Gutierrez at UN came in, and it was a little bit of a controversial pick given that there were many qualified women who were being considered. But I think knowing that, he rightly, um, one of his first goals was to create gender parity within the UN. And just I think in January, they have done that at the leadership level. Um, And I think they've been able to make strides in that because there was a really strong commitment from the top to, to make it happen.
0: And that's so important. And I wanna get into something that you brought up, which is being a mom while well, being in international development, we can call it momming while deving. You know, it's just it's it's not easy. There aren't a ton of resources out there about, you know, all of the different very unique issues that moms face. I know you had a piece out, I think it seems a couple of years ago about breastfeeding while traveling and development projects. Could you talk a bit about like what are what are your best and biggest pieces of advice for moms working in this industry? And what do you think are some of the unique Challenges that moms face.
1: Yeah, I know and I've had many friends that as they become mothers, have um, Dropped out of the sector because they found that it was really challenging to do um, I think part of it is is choosing an employer that will be supportive um, That piece I wrote on breastfeeding while traveling is when I had a, a four-month-old and was having to go to the Philippines and I was still nursing my four-month-old and having to try to figure out how to keep that going um, while traveling overseas and on airplanes and different uh, power adapters and <laughs> different cultural contexts. Um, and you know, I'm lucky to work for a very supportive employer that created the infrastructure to make that easier. Um, and I know uh, some friends of mine who even brought their, their babies or small children with them on overseas trips because their employers let them how often do you think that's the case where employers are that supportive to just say you bring your kids on this mission yeah i don't know if it's that common um in but it's in the case of a friend of mine who did that and she was working on breastfeeding programs so it was very good that they were supportive of that (laughs) one would hope that (laughs) she was speaking at a conference around breastfeeding um and but their team like helped find a local babysitter uh, made sure that there would be a room where she could nurse in the facility where the conference was and they weren't you know, huge going out of the way task, but allowed for her to still be an, an active contributor in her role even while having a, a young child. Um, yeah, I mean we also think about you know paternity maternity leave um, and this first three, six months a year of a child's life and that really being the panacea to solving all these issues when Really, it takes you know eighteen years before they leave your house. Well, yeah, you, we
0: were talking about this the other day, and you made that really interesting point of people think that, okay well, when you have a new baby that 's going to be the toughest part yeah. of this whole thing, and being away, and you know,
1: all of that, but really it just, it just keeps getting more complicated Yeah, no, and uh, you know they say bigger kids, bigger problems, and that it can be, can be harder to be away, but that 's where again, having a supportive spouse, having a good support network. Um, if you don't have family nearby, I, I do, I am lucky to have some family nearby, but just outsourcing, people always ask me how do you work, balance work and kids, and it's like we just outsource the things <laughs> that, uh, we can. Um, and see it as kind of a necessary expense for being a dual career couple, um, and it allows me to have the flexibility to travel when I need to. Technology makes it so much easier now, too. Um, it stay makes it really touch. easy to stay in touch with your kids. Um, so,
0: I said, th- what do you recommend, you know, if someone is, or for mothers, for parents out there, or people who are about to become parents, is, should, would you recommend breaching the whole topic with an employer, say, before you go out on maternity leave or when you get back of, you know, I don't, I don't want my workload to change or I do want things to shift or how do you feel about bringing, you know, kids with me on, with us on travel? Would you recommend having that conversation?
1: And if so, how? Yeah, well, I mean, I think when it comes to can I bring my child, I think it's more stating what you need to be productive, come um, kind of without shame. <laughs> and um, so what you need just is maybe you need a certain type of computer to be productive, maybe you need these kind of accommodations. So it's all around and making sure the conversation's around how you can add the most value to the employer and not making it so much about yourself. So when you think about and, and that lens of giving me these accommodations is not asking for special treatment it's it's going to enable me to be a more productive employee so trying to think about it from that lens i can think it makes it um, a more fruitful conversation where the employer can see the value in helping you and it's not seen as oh well she's getting special favors because she's a mom
0: yeah I it no
1: i just need a babysitter so i can do my work yeah. in the
0: country <laughs> So I want to get into something else that we have talked about quite a bit in the past, which is this idea of quieting your inner critic. earlier, you had alluded to how women tend not to apply for jobs or really 100 percent put themselves out there if, they don't feel, if we don't feel like we meet every single piece of criteria for a role. Um, how do you kind of fight how do you get over that urge, and how do you fight kind of any sort of inner critic that might be drawing us back from?
1: Yeah, well, I think, again, and this is all, um, yeah, this is not strictly black or white, and some men struggle with this too, and some women don't, but I think women, as a whole, tend to sometimes downplay their strengths. Um, they maybe aren't as comfortable with like, a hard sale pitch about themselves, they're less likely to negotiate for a higher salary when they start a job, or for raises, or for promotions. Um, so being aware of that, and, pushing yourself a little to, to think more um, about how you can put yourself out there more. I also think that men and women who are in the position of power should be thinking about how they are giving raises and promotions, and are they biasing the really outspoken person um, over the person who's less outspoken, but maybe doing really quality work. Um, so thinking about how you make those decisions from an HR perspective is, I think, really important for us to think about. Um, those were a couple.
0: Yeah. yeah. We did have one question mm-hmm. from Sarah Grouse, who is working with us yeah. on the Women Working in Development campaign. And she asked, how can women find out the best employers for being a mother in the industry? In her site, collect some data, but it's still not comprehensive.
1: Yeah, no, that's a, that's a really good question. Maybe something we should try to solve here at DevX. Um, I mean, I think that's part of doing your due diligence when you're looking at employers, and I think employers are thinking a lot more about their employer brand, their culture, and how they are engaging with potential candidates, something that private sector has been doing for a while now, and I'm seeing our sector um, getting a little bit more on board (laughs) with that, where they're really talking about what it's like to work within their organization, and you're able to see what it would be like if you are working in that organization. But absent that, I mean, really just talking to people Finding people who work in the organization, maybe moms, even asking—it's part of a hiring process. I think it's completely reasonable to even request a interview or informational interview with somebody else in the department that maybe won't be your superior, maybe your peer, because you want to get a sense of what it's like to work there. I know that's something we often do here at DevX because it's important for somebody.
0: Extremely helpful. Yeah.
1: So um, no, I think there are some ways to suss out what the what the culture is like. I mean, also looking at the leadership of an organization is very important. Um, it gets, shows you, do they value diversity? Do women have career growth opportunities within this organization? Or are you going to be the trailblazer? Um, so, and then I know that Quantum Impact is working on some data around uh, leadership figures in our sector that they'll be releasing in March and we'll be publishing on devx that so will give some insight on what organizations are, are doing this well and what organizations can maybe use some some help yes
0: so we are about out of time but i do want to say number one the devx is really lucky to have you as a woman leader trailblazer to look after we do have a few events coming up that kind of continue this conversation and go a little bit more in depth can you talk a bit about we have a couple webinars and yeah other so we actually
1: have one that we'll be doing this spring on quieting your inner critic with a executive coach who um, is really fantastic on on helping women and men uh, battle with that you know internal challenge Um, we also have one with quantum impact on battling unconscious bias in the workplace so allows you to kind of check yourself for what are the things i might be doing unintentionally, um whether i'm in a hiring capacity or just dealing with colleagues. Uh, We also have a webinar coming on networking, which is obviously very important for women in building a strong network, and can sometimes be a skill set that women feel less suited, well-suited to do. Um, So we'll be talking about some strategies for if the idea of networking is completely scary <laughs> to yeah. get over that. It can
0: be scary, but how to learn how to gracefully walk up to someone and say, hi, I'm great. <laughs> yes, right, and
1: like really it's be able deep. to pitch yourself without yeah. coming across too strong, and so we'll be talking through some of those as well, and we'll be continuing to dig into issues such as you know, biased terms in job titles and some of the you know, microaggressions that some women feel in the workplace that we're working with Quantum Impact on, on sharing some of these stories, uh, so it'll be a lot more coming out over the coming weeks.
0: Fantastic, and the only other event, which is not a digital event, but in person, that will live stream online, is we are co-hosting an event with the Center for Global Development at 4.30 p.m. Eastern on March 6th about women working in global development. It really gets into how organizations can deliver on this mission of gender equality. I want to thank everyone for sticking with us over the past half hour. This has been Long Story Short with Kate Warren and myself, Kate Wathan. If you have questions, if you want comments, if you have things you want to see on the show, topics, please feel free to put them in the comments of this post or tweet us. You can tweet us at DevX, at Kate D. Warren, and at Kate Wathin on Twitter. Thank you. Thank you, everyone.